0: You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm your host, Mark Brisley. My conversation today is with veteran growth manager, Noah Blockstein who focuses on managing over 10 billion in US and global growth mandates for us here at Dynamic Funds. Noah last joined us on this podcast back in May of this year and the current landscape has obviously continued to evolve dramatically. As a result, investors are still left with many uncertainties that make for a challenging market environment. What hasn't changed is the commitment by my guest today to the same investment process that has been at the core of his long-term success during the past 23 plus years. As a true growth investor, Noah continues to stress that the focus remain on the fundamentals in what you are ultimately paying for, which is the value in future growth through earnings and cash flow. From a recent commentary, I want to share with you something that Noah stated. He said, our focus on our investment process doesn't waver. Great companies have always let us up and out. Over the course of our career, this type of extreme volatility has tended to occur around the bottom of down markets. And for the companies we own that continue to execute and grow, we are adding to those positions. And these are companies that generate real revenue and profits that have a long runway for future upside. And a few names are making their way into our funds that we're waiting for at the right price. So Noah, it's great to have you with us as always again. And you know, I'll start with the biggest understatement of the year and just say it's obviously been a difficult year in the markets. But as I said, you've been managing money with that same investment process for close to a quarter century and been through two of the three worst bear markets in history. So from your perspective right now as a growth investor, what's the most important thing for us to remember when we're going through times like this?
1: I think the old adage of in the short run, the market is a voting machine, in the long run, it's a weighing machine. Our process is one that really focuses on the weighing machine part of it. It's much easier to try and figure out what this company looks like in five years, what the revenues look like, what the margins look like, what the earnings look like. And ultimately, if we can get an idea of that, we know sort of where the stock price is going to go over time and make sure we have a wide enough buffer to be able to do that. The short term, you know, I don't know what the impact of interest rates will be on this stock. I don't know the impact of the Russian invasion in terms of this stock. not saying that I don't understand what oil prices or interest rates do, but trying to guess the reaction of a company's fundamentals to these exogenous events is really a guessing game for a lot of people. And they're caught up in all of these macro headwinds and all of these headlines. And what they're missing is the bigger picture and the longer term picture. You know, whether it was the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, there've always been great growth companies to emerge from each of those decades. And whether that was on the brink of nuclear war or hyperinflation in the 70s, or everything that was going on in the 1980s or the fall of the Berlin Wall, each of those global events, each of those different interest rate regimes There was always a group of growth stocks that were working and outperforming. And our main focus is to find those companies that drive long-term returns and try and tune out to the extent possible the shorter-term macro noises that are going on today.
0: This process that you've deployed over the years, it's allowed you to find companies, as you say, that became much larger companies. When we think about names like Apple and Google, Amazon, Facebook, Chipotle, just to name a few that you've been involved with, we also think about leadership coming out of a bear market. Are you seeing new leadership come about in this particular time frame?
1: This concept of new leadership harkens back to how growth stocks, and how growth kind of works. There's a life cycle to products, there's a life cycle to companies, right? And extending that life cycle by bringing in new products, for example, when Apple brought in the iPhone, which extended the life cycle of that company and uh, continued that company's growth to where it is today. There are life cycles, and growth eventually does mature. When these big bear markets tend to happen. The factors that drive stock prices over long periods of time, which includes the earnings and revenue and the opportunity for those companies, continues, but usually it signals a change in leadership. So, you know, the companies that led after the bear market in the late 80s and early 90s, the leadership changed. It wasn't IBM or Hewlett-Packard. It turned into companies like Microsoft and Cisco and EMC. And so there was a new group of stocks, sort of the leadership group of stocks. We similarly saw that in 2002 coming out of that bear market. And again, in 2008. And so every new bull market has new leadership. I think what people tend to do, though, is they think, oh, well, this time it's going to be energy or this time it's going to be companies that make ketchup or something like that. It's always going to be companies delivering revenue and earnings that far exceed what the overall economy is doing. Companies with new products or new services that have the ability to grow rapidly and at multiples of where they currently are today. The names change, but those fundamental factors never change.
0: You've talked through your process about what leads you to buy into your portfolios with the companies that you're looking at. Given the type of environment we're in, I think it would be interesting to also discuss when do you look to sell the company or exit a position, which I think is probably just as important as the buying decision?
1: There's a number of reasons why we would sell. When we look at what we think the long term opportunity is for that company and we look at where the stock is currently trading, what we're trying to do is find companies today that are undervalued relative to what they can earn in the future. So we're looking at this company relative to its future earnings and opportunity is undervalued. And so when the current stock price reflects all of that future growth it's already embedded in that stock price, there's really no upside left for us. And so if the stock is fully encapsulated or fully reflecting everything we think that could happen on a valuation basis, then we'll move on from that company. Management misexecution or the inability to deliver now, there are many companies that have a similar opportunity, but execution and management matter a lot. And so look at the difference between an Apple and a BlackBerry. Look at the difference between a Google and a Yahoo. You know, you could be in the right race, but on the wrong horse. And what you want to make sure is that the companies that you're in are executing and delivering to that longer-term vision. And if they're not, you want to move on and find the company that is. And those are some of the reasons why we would sell a security, other than regular portfolio management or we tend to own 20 to 25 names in the portfolio fairly concentrated. And so certain positions can get to be large positions. And just as a risk control measurement, we may pull them back after a big run. You know, if it's become a too large of a position, we might bring it back down. You know, our average position size is around 4 to 6% of the portfolio. And if it exceeds that by a large amount, we might bring it back in. And that's not really selling the security or having a negative view of the company. It's just managing overall exposures of the fund which matter in a concentrated portfolio.
0: So listen to you talk about the fact that at the end of the day, you invest by looking at companies and trying to determine how much larger they can become. So we know that that means you're not a macro investor, but the macroeconomic climate has been so noisy, so impactful. We know you're aware of that environment. So how much of an impact of the macro factors and in particular the Fed had on market performance in 2022 and, and on you as an investor?
1: The impact of macro economics and Federal Reserve moves. And one of the most recent data dumps that I recently saw was roughly eighty percent of stock price movements are based on macro factors since the COVID pandemic. And so we've really seen fundamental factors of individual companies get swamped. First by COVID stimulus and then followed by just probably one of the most aggressive rate tightening regimes we've seen in a very, very long period of time. Or we've gone from, you know, basically zero to four hundred and twenty five basis points in an incredibly short period of time, along with quantitative easing. So macro has mattered, is the only thing that's mattered this year. And it mattered in terms of slope of the yield curve and how investors reacted to that. Now it's mattering into the investors believing a recession is coming, even though we haven't seen one yet. And so what's driving stock prices, even though the companies have executed, they've delivered, they've reiterated their outlooks, it hasn't really mattered. You've seen massive multiple compression across the market this year especially in the growth sectors. In terms of the number of growth stocks outperforming the overall market, in the spring of this year, less than 12% of growth stocks were outperforming the market. It's a number we've never seen before, going back to all the data. So because all the stocks are trading as one, it tells you it's overly influenced by what's going on in the macro, macro investors using factors or other things to whip around securities. But it also suggests that babies are being tossed out with the bathwater. And that's where the opportunity for active managers is because over the long run, we're back to that weighing machine and the ones with real growth and real opportunity will be significantly higher than where they are today. And that's our opportunity.
0: I guess in some respects, that makes it hard to also not try and capitalize on momentum. We've talked about the fact that most sectors for the market and the S&P 500 and MSCI have been down this year with the exception of energy. So, you know, where are you seeing growth stock valuations? versus where they've been historically, and is this actually providing opportunity for you right now?
1: When we look at some of the benchmarks that we use for growth stocks, and we go all the way back to the beginning of the data in 1960, on a relative price-to-sales basis, which is how we tend to look at it, not on a price-to-earnings basis, because that can be influenced by accounting treatment, that can be influenced by different tax rates, whole bunch of things that can go into the E, but the price-to-sales is what's consistent over time. Growth stocks, this is the lowest level, going back of all the data, of gross stock valuation to the overall market. So they've never been cheaper on a relative basis, ever. And they've all been swooped down in this uh, big drawdown that we're seeing today. So it's it's quite remarkable, actually. So growth
0: is on sale is not an unreasonable comment.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're trying to find stocks that are undervalued relative to the opportunities for the future growth. There are a lot of companies that are undervalued. But even on current earnings or next year's earnings and stuff like that, There are a lot of undervalued companies with very, very high margins and long-term secular growth outlooks that aren't just undervalued relative to where they are in the future. They're undervalued as to where they are today.
0: You know, one of the other topics of the day, and I guess, uh, you know, shame on me for not bringing it up already, is the inflation subject. We're hoping it doesn't stay high for an extended period of time and think that's very unlikely, but can certain stocks, in particular, growth stocks do well in this type of environment, and where are you seeing things right now with respect to inflation?
1: Yeah, we're not really macro investors, and we try not to get all caught up in that. This time last year, everyone was talking about transitory. Now, for some reason, we're in the 1970s, and everyone is Paul Volcker, neither of which were true. This isn't true, and the transitory nature of some of the past, we wasn't as well. Having said all that, interest rates have gone up a lot. A lot of the drivers of inflation have rolled over hard, especially goods inflation, whether that was in used cars or in other things like that, and we're starting to see the beginning of inflation falling in rents. All I can tell you is that we're a macro-driven market, which has been the major frustration for me as a bottom-up stock picker this year. You can see the moves that growth funds had on that one lower-than-expectation CPI miss. There were gargantuan moves in a single day. So you can see the macro type of environment that we're involved with right now and how small changes on the margin can have major impacts on the overall valuation. I can't time that. I don't have a clue on that. I don't know when that's going to happen or what's going to happen. Thus far, we're not in a recession. I can't time those macro factors. I don't know when inflation begins to abate, when the jobs number comes in weaker than expected. All of those things are going to have a pronounced impact on a lot of the valuation of certain stocks. When that happens, why that happens, how that happens, we just want to make sure that we're in the right companies for the next five years. Those shorter term trading decisions are just not things we can be overly concerned about. But there's a lot of inflation that's behind us now.
0: Is there any concern or, or I guess attention paid though from your perspective to you know the health of the consumer? And I ask that question because I think the direction here is you know it's difficult for a lot of people to think about staying invested right now during volatility and in a bear market situation like we're in. And when you hear names like companies like Amazon, great big companies that are going through layoffs and that whole Main Street, Bay Street, Wall Street <laughs> comparison, there's actual real pain out there because of things like inflation.
1: For sure. No one's uh, dismissing the pain that it caused. You know, you put a lot of stimulus into the system in the trillions of dollars, you locked people up in their homes and they only had one thing to spend on, which was goods. And at the same time, COVID is continuing in China with shutdowns and supply chain issues. There's a cascading effect of all these things had on one another in terms of inflation. When it abates and how it abates, now that rates have gone up, now that housing is starting to correct, if that is the one thing that's been pressuring growth stocks, if that eases What I'm suggesting is is that perhaps the trade now is we're worried we're going into a recession, everything's going to be bad. Maybe that's it. But you also have to ask yourself when you're looking at certain stocks, what's in the price? For example, since October, semiconductor stocks whose fundamentals are challenged with excess inventory and waning demand have moved a lot off the bottom, in some cases up to 40% off the bottom on these stocks, which were being dumped nonstop. And so the stock market's forward-looking. So if you're waiting for the picture to become all clear over the next six months, That's not how the market works. The market looks through things if it can see its way out the other end. That's why we try and take a long-term view to what we're doing. Yes, there's been pain. It's reflected in stock prices. Many of the things on inflation are rolling over. Yes, job layoffs will pick up. So, So far, the labor market has remained resilient, both in Canada and the United States. That will change and loosen up for sure. As far as we can tell from our perspective, if you get bad numbers and stocks go up, the market is looking forward market is looking at what the next factor is. And so how we think is make sure you have the five your view correct and understand that some of these macro influences, be aware of the short term. If the company's not executing, the company's not delivering. You don't want to be in a Yahoo if there's a Google. You don't want to be in a Blackberry if there's an Apple. Similarly, you know, you want to make sure that the management team are delivering and executing. But you don't want to let short term, unpredictable macroeconomics, which even if you get right, you don't know what the impact on the stock will be. I remember investors telling us if Donald Trump won the presidency, the stock market was going to collapse. And that night, the Nikkei futures were down 8%, and then we basically went straight up from 2016 until 2018. A lot of these things, just because you have the narrative right, doesn't mean you have the reaction right. And so that's why we're focused on the weighing part of this market, on the long-term fundamentals, and we're not guessing at macroeconomics. When that turns, it's going to turn exceptionally fast, as we saw most recently with the CPI number. We can't predict it, we can't time it. All we can do is what we've done for the last 25 years plus. Stick to our discipline, stick to our process, and know that over time, that's what works in terms of delivering returns to shareholders and unit holders.
0: Being a true growth investor, it's understood that you're not investing in companies for their dividends. However, dividends and yield and income continue to be significant topics. That said, number of stocks with dividend yields that right now would be lower than the 10-year treasury, Uh, is at the same levels that we saw back in the global financial crisis. Does that hold any significance for you or tell you anything?
1: If you look today, the number of stocks with a dividend yield higher than the 10-year treasury is very low. Typically, since 2008, when the market has fallen, stocks have had a better dividend yield than the 10-year treasury because yields have been so low. This rate height cycle and the move of the yield curve have basically gone us back to a pre-global financial crisis where there's not as many stocks with yields above it. And so, I do think something is different this time. I think obviously short-term interest rates are much higher and cash does have a yield and cash is an asset class again. And if you want to move to cash and earn 4% and take that income portion of your portfolio and have zero beta on it, I understand that. In fact, in our Power Global Balance Fund, we've moved our fixed income into very short-term money instruments that are yielding close to 4% currently. That can change, but it is currently yielding that because now with bonds down double digits this year, we now have an opportunity to earn yield with no beta. What that affords us is the opportunity to go out a little further on the equity side. You don't want to outlive your own money, and you can do that if the capital is not appreciating and it's just earning a yield. We've moved our asset allocation a little higher on the equity side and substituting higher yielding cash for fixed income. So it is a little bit different. We haven't seen since pre-global financial crisis cash with the yield on it, and that can change asset allocation. I've always believed in two asset classes, cash and growth stocks, and now in the power global balance, we can do that a little bit more. That's the opportunity on the equity side, for sure.
0: So much of the work that you've done over the years has led you to groups or themes with respect to the companies you've invested in. One of those, as an example, was you know investing into cloud-based enterprises. Are there any areas right now where you're seeing or your investment process is uncovering or finding opportunity for you given the conditions we're in?
1: All of our themes in the portfolio come from the bottom up. So it starts with our process of trying to find companies growing high teens or better revenue and earnings, and then doing the fundamental work on the companies to measure the length and the width of the runway that those companies have in front of them. When we do that, we we'll look at this number of companies that are helping corporations digitally transform their businesses And shift to the cloud. Oh, look at the number of companies that are in the solar space that are solving issues in terms of energy reliability and independence in Europe, at the same time benefiting from the US's push toward green energy. What you'll see is there are themes in the portfolio, but they're all driven from the bottom up. And so that move toward cloud is still in its early stages and has a long way to go. And more intelligence is going to occur in the cloud. We're probably on the cusp of making AI, artificial intelligence, usable on the enterprise-wide level so corporations can build more applications and use artificial intelligence to get better at what they do, whether that's from a sales and marketing perspective or data analytics. In terms of other things, you know, in, in the consumer space, it's always been, you know, the restaurant or the retailer that can expand stores or has a new brand or opportunity. In healthcare, it's always really idiosyncratically driven. You know, it tends to be one company being driven by a new product or service. Or by a new drug that hits the market to meet an unmet need. In both those cases, I think, you know, in healthcare, whether that's through continuous glucose monitoring and other personalized healthcare that's attached to your body where you can monitor a whole host of conditions, that came from the pandemic and that's probably going to continue out there. But in terms of pharmaceuticals, and, you know, we're on the cusp of drugs now for probably obesity and Alzheimer's, we're not there from the bottom up perspective yet. But the opportunity ahead of us for those companies, you know, especially in the case of dementia Alzheimer's is the single largest unmet pharmaceutical need in the world today.
0: There seems to continue to be a lot of conversation around things that uh, accelerated or benefited from the pandemic, which is almost an awful way of saying something. But, you know, can there still be growth found in those particular areas or are we moving on to post-pandemic world and new areas of interest and opportunity?
1: I think the companies that have suffered the most are the ones who believed they are at a permanently higher plateau for growth because of the pandemic. You know, a company like Peloton just did whatever they could to meet the pandemic demand, not realizing it would wane once reopening and most of that demand was met. You see that in e-commerce as well. But you're also beginning to see the early stages of some of those companies who are pandemic beneficiaries who were hit first in this bear market in 2021, not 2022. Those companies begin to emerge now from the ashes of the pandemic, who have been able to hold on to customers, or whose competition was in the private equity market, and those competitors are being shut down by private equity, who are now beginning to accelerate their business coming out of this, from both a revenue and profitability standpoint. So, if the companies meet our criteria for growth and revenue and earnings and profitability, we're certainly going to look at them. You know, dismissing everyone who benefited from the pandemic, and not saying that there will be some winners who will be able to sustain that growth, who have held on to customers, or who will benefit from the competitors in that space being shut down in the private equity world, that would be naive. And so uh, we look everywhere for companies. We're not dismissive of anything. If the numbers of revenue and earnings are there, we're going to look.
0: Noah, to close our conversation off today, thinking about those next five years, there's definitely a sense of optimism and confidence in your voice and in your comments. Your final thoughts to our listeners on what to think about when constructing a portfolio and staying invested. And as someone who runs highly concentrated, high conviction portfolios, what it takes to maintain that conviction.
1: As somebody who has a lot of money in his own funds, I can tell you, I understand how difficult these markets have been. But I also doing for so long and having been through these types of markets, they're always a little bit different. 2001, 2002 was not like 2008. And this is, you know, 2020, Uh, was not like 2008, nor is 22 like 2008 or even 01 or 02. It's always a little bit different going through these periods of times of the cause or what changes it. But what doesn't change over time is companies that have that opportunity to be significantly bigger, who are part and parcel of these secular growth drivers in the overall markets exist today, just like they existed in 1974, just like they existed in 1982, just like they existed in 1991 or 2002 or 2008 or 2020. And so we're very excited about the next five years. I have no idea when the turn occurs. It's very macro driven, not fundamentally driven. But I do know that the upside over the next five years, from what we see in the companies, obviously management teams need to execute. The Federal Reserve can't just go completely out of their minds, putting us into a deep recession. But from what we see in terms of opportunity and upside, whether it was the low of 02 or the low of 08 or even 98 or a whole host of bear markets, This is as good as it gets in terms of upside of secular growth companies over the next five years, in my opinion. And my opinion, I think, is worth something. I've been doing this a very long time.
0: Well, Noah, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your insights, your optimism, and your conviction for how you see things unfolding over the next little while. And to all of our listeners as well, we appreciate you joining us. If you would like to hear more information on what was discussed today, please feel free to visit us at dynamic.ca. And as always, we believe the best way to access any of the information discussed is through a qualified financial advisor. We hope everybody continues to be well and look forward to talking with you again at On The Money. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca.
2: This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.